A reading from Paul's letter to the Galatians. Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgressions, you who are spiritual should restore them in the spirit of gentleness. Keep watch of yourself, lest you be tempted. Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks he is something, when he is nothing, he deceives himself. But let each one test his own work, and then his reason to boast will be in himself alone and not in his neighbor. For each will have to bear his own load. Let the one who is taught the word share all good things with the one who teaches. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatsoever, whoever sows, who, sorry, for whatever one sows, that will he also reap. For the one who sows his faith, his own flesh will from his own flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the spirit will from the spirit reap eternal life. And let us not grow weary of doing well. For in due season we will reap if we do not give up. So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone and especially to those who are of the household of faith. The word of the Lord. Well, good morning. I greet you in the strong name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. My name is Nick Seaborn, not Nick Saban, uh, to trouble anyone this morning. Let me say what an honor it is to be able to be here this morning and to really be shaped by those who have served in various ways at Beeson Divinity School. Say thank you to Dean Sweeney, Ms. Wilma, for this opportunity to serve in this way. To anyone who calls on the name of the Lord today, I give you greetings, particularly from the Shades Crest Baptist Church, just right up the mountain. We're not Shades Valley, we're not Shades Mountain, we're Shades Crest. And so uh, please send your checks, tithes, and offerings there. But we greet you today uh, as we've come to Worship, I am aware of my audience, and I'm aware of the time. And what I mean by that is, I know all of you have things due, probably today, but certainly within the next few weeks, and you've been laboring. You've been laboring here amongst one another. You've been laboring in your local churches. You've been caring for those whom God has put in your sphere of influence. And our subject this morning is carry on till the end. Carry on till the end. Galatians chapter 6 verses 1 through 10, which Jermaine read so well for us. I want to invite you to turn there if you haven't already. Would you pray with me? Help us, O Lord. For we ask this in the name of the Father and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, maybe you're familiar with the book of Galatians. It's got a lot of 
memorable texts, a lot of maybe texts that you have memorized. And here we've come to this last chapter of the book of Galatians, where Paul is going to develop and weave together two ideas. I'll be honest, when you first read Galatians chapter 6, verses 1 through 10, it can be quite difficult maybe to get your arms around it. It seems that maybe Paul is just rolling off a litany of things that he wanted to say towards the end, some maybe how you are when you're just trying to make that word count at the end of the paper. You're just saying true things about God. But I think what Paul is doing here is he is beautifully under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, weaving together two things. And that is personal responsibility and mutual accountability. Personal responsibility and mutual accountability. Now you might say, Nick, that's everywhere I go. That's not unique to the Bible. It's not unique to Christians. I want you to think with me about those who labor in business. There is that personal responsibility and yet this mutual accountability that they hold on to. Think about those who serve even at this institution. There's that personal responsibility and that mutual accountability. Think about Sports teams, there's that personal responsibility and that mutual accountability. But there's one thing here that's different than all of those that I've named and the others that you can think of. And that would be this. Freedom in the Spirit. Freedom in the Spirit. That what he's talking about here is a life lived for Christ's sake with freedom in the spirit, with individual responsibility and mutual accountability. He begins with this, brothers and sisters, if someone is overtaken in any wrongdoing, you who are spiritual, restore such a person with a gentle spirit, watching out for yourselves so that you also won't be tempted. You know, verse uh, chapter 6 comes Spoiler alert, right off of chapter 5, where Paul has given these lists, this list of what it means to do works of the flesh and what it means to live by the Spirit. These instances here, the works of the flesh in 519 onward, and then the fruit of the Spirit in 522 onward. And here he begins to give a little bit more color of what it looks like to live with this freedom in the Spirit. But he says here, if someone is overtaken in any wrongdoing, what's interesting about that word overtaken is it's, it's this word almost that could be translated up, surprised. If anyone is taken aback, if anyone is surprised by any wrong, in any wrongdoing, you who are spiritual, restore such a person with a, with a gentle spirit. It's not lost on anyone in the room that part of the work of being a minister for Christ's sake is that we walk with people through instances 
of their wrongdoing that they're able to bring before us, even in some sense, the things that they have done wrong that are not right in God's eyes. And that can be a, quite a surprising thing for someone when they're gripped with the reality that they have sinned against a holy God and that they have done wrong in His eyes. You, you and I have been trained very well to be able to point out the, the brokenness in the world, have we not? I mean, we've prayed about such things. There, there are such things that when I name wrongdoings and brokenness, you have people and situations that pop into your heart and your mind at that moment. And if anyone is surprised here in any wrongdoings, you who are spiritual should restore such a person. There's this personal responsibility and yet mutual accountability that those who are spiritual would restore. Uh, that word spiritual uh, is an interesting one, isn't it, in our day and time? There's one instance where those who would say, I'm, I'm not religious, I'm what? Spiritual. I'm, I'm, I'm not into Christianity, got some problems with that, but I, but I am what? Spiritual. I do think it's the task of our generation, if I can lump myself in with y'all today, to be able to rightly divide the word of truth to where we are able to help others see the true nature of what it means to be spiritual, namely led by the Spirit. That's what that is in the original language, this led by the Spirit language. But then there's this other piece of the way the word spiritual is used. And oftentimes it's used to describe folk like us. Maybe you have reverend in front of your name. Maybe you will be completing your degree within just a month's time. Maybe you've got the credentials, whether that's through education or through a role you serve in in the church. Maybe you're on the church's website. And people would say, you're spiritual. There's a temptation where when we come face to face with the brokenness in another, the wrongdoing in another, we at times can say, I am so glad I am not like that. I remember one time when I was in college, God help us for what we did in college in the name of the Lord. But I was in college and there was a person sitting beside me and he was talking about how he was struggling with sin in various ways and, and didn't really resonate with me. And I looked at him and I said, well, I'm, I'm not really tempted in that way. And I'm so sorry that you are. Hey, don't do that. Don't say that. He came to me later in kindness and said, when you said, I don't struggle in that way, you isolated me and you kind of left me for dead there. Rather than walking with me through this brokenness, those who are spiritual, those who are led by the Spirit, restore such a person with, with gentleness. Ah, that fruit of the Spirit. With a gentle spirit. Watching out for yourselves so that you will also not be tempted. This gentle spirit that we approach 
that even though there might be those that we walk with and through certain wrongdoings, that we ourselves are not given to in any particular expression of that wrongdoing, we ourselves are not too far from fallen, are we not? We ourselves are not too far away from the grace that God first extended us when he came to us by the power of the Spirit. And we come in, in gentleness, even and especially when we're right. This gentle spirit seeking to restore and using what's appropriate. That's what gentleness is. Using the appropriate means to address the issue. I remember one time I, my wife and I were in a fight and I started rattling off everything. And another thing, if you ever find yourself saying that, stop. Oh, and another thing, and another thing, and another thing. And she looked at me in kindness and said, Nick, so often you use a chainsaw when a scalpel will do. Gentleness. That part of the work is that we use the appropriate means for the measure of what's needed. And we watch out for ourselves, even that we would not be tempted. Verse 2, carrying one another's burdens that in this way you'll fulfill the law of Christ. It's this scalpel, this gentleness, this walking with one anotherness, this dying to selfness. Stephen W. Smith, the preacher, writer, in his book, Dying to Preach, gives this idea that preaching is ultimately laying down your life over and over and over and over and over and over again so that you might live and that others might live. That that is, in a sense, what it means to minister in God's name. That that's, in a sense, what it means to live for Christ, to be by the Spirit, that we would actually die and I don't know if you know that's what you've actually signed up for when you've answered the call that God's placed upon your life. If you, if, if you think that's not what you've signed up for, then you need to hear not from Stephen W. Smith, but from Stephen A. Smith, the ESPN reporter, where he says you've been hoodwinked, bamboozled, led astray, run amok, and flat out deceived in what you think you've been called to. We've been called to bear one another's burdens to walk with one another through this brokenness as we realize that it wasn't so long ago and it wouldn't be too far off that we ourselves even could fall, carry one another's burdens, and in this, you fulfill the law of Christ. I remember in, when I was growing up, I grew up in a very small town, 2,300 dogs, cats, cows, on April 3rd, 1974, an F-4 tornado ripped right through the middle of my very small town, killed 24 people. And one night, and I remember talking to Mr. Fry, an older deacon in our church. And people spoke about him uh, as if he could walk on water. He was one of our fathers in the faith. 
And there was this instance where someone said, I, I remember seeing him go back into a busted, broken home to go save someone. And the only image this one person remembers from that night is Mr. Fry holding this child by his legs with him draped over his back. And someone said, Mr. Fry, why did you do that? And he said, because he is my people. This idea of bearing one another's burdens. We're each other's people in the Lord. And that's what it means to walk in the power of the Spirit as personal responsibility and mutual accountability come together and meet together. For if anyone considers himself something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. Can I just remind you that God doesn't do something with something? He has always done something with nothing. Is that not what he did back in Genesis chapter 1? There was nothing, and God spoke out into nothing, and all of a sudden something came from nothing, and he hung something on nothing and told it to stay there. If we would think that we would be something today, we're in the long the wrong line of work. For anyone who considers himself to be something, he is nothing. He deceives himself. So let each person examine his own work. And then he can take pride in himself alone and not compete, cannot compare himself with someone else. For each person will have to carry his own load, balancing together by the power of the Spirit, this freedom in Christ. Freedom in the spirit, personal responsibility and mutual accountability and how that then helps the church and the work of God continue on with people who are broken ourselves. With people who know where the food is. One beggar leading another beggar to food. Then he turns in verse 6. And to be honest, I, I like Number six, let the one who has taught the word share all his good things with the teacher. Pay the preacher. And we've got members from Shades Crest Baptist Church here. We can take up an offering today. But it's this beautiful ability here that we see in the church of every role being appreciated, every role being used for the glory of God. And those of us who are at times the most public servants, standing up here in front of everyone, we must be reminded that we share this work together. And the beauty of of walking together is being able to share this work and to share with one another. F.F. Bruce puts it this way. He says the teacher relieves the ignorance of the pulpit and the pulpit should Relieve the teacher of concern for his substance. That is that there's this beautiful relationship that works together. And so he says, don't be deceived. God is not mocked for whatever a person sows. He will also reap. Because the one who sows to his flesh will also reap destruction from the flesh. But the one who sows in the spirit will reap eternal life. From the Spirit. Don't be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a person sows, he will also reap. Because the one who sows to his flesh will reap the destruction. 
from the flesh. Here he talks about this walking through life, sowing seeds of life. That the fruit of the Spirit is born first because the gospel itself, the work of Christ, is first planted. That's what we're called to do. Planting seeds of hope. Planting seeds of the Spirit so that the fruit of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control will grow up into our lives. And dare we even be so bold, grow up into the lives of those to whom we minister to, those to whom we care for, that somehow, some way, that God would use us by His power to have these fruit shown up and grow up in the lives that we get to walk together with. That as much as we are broken and as much as they are broken, that we are fertile soil already tilled to receive the grace of God. Don't be deceived. God's not mocked because his work is sure. Whatever you plant, you'll reap. And the reaping we want to have is that of the work of the spirit. So let us not get tired of doing good. I'm close of ending here, but let us not grow tired of doing good for we will reap at the proper time if we don't give up. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us work for the good of all, especially for those who belong to the household of faith. Let us not get tired of doing good. You've done a lot of good this semester. Do you know that? I know you might think I I don't have much to show for it. I don't have time to get perspective in this 20-minute sermon. But do you know that you've done good for Christ's sake by the power of the Spirit? Do you know that? And the question today, beloved, is will you give up? Are you ready to give up? You'll let us not get tired of doing good for we will reap at the proper time If we don't give up. If we don't give up. I think about. Giving up. And not giving up. Can I tell you today that. Not giving up. Is a part of the work that we do. And it's in the family business. Not giving up. Is a part of the work. That we're called to do. And it's in the family business. You remember Abram. He's called to go somewhere where he does not know where he is going. And yet on the promise and the word of God, he does not give up. And he continues to go where God has called him to go. He then gets the word that he, at uh, 100 years old, will be visiting the nursery wing in in the Palestinian hospital to raise up a child and then to take that child up that mountain. You know the mountain. Up that mountain. And we always give this idea of Abraham uh, sacrificing, wanting to sacrifice Isaac. I'm, I'm concerned about someone who is 100 years old climbing up a mountain. That's the part that we don't talk about in the church. But Abraham did not 
give up. What about Hannah? Hannah prayed and she prayed and she prayed. And time again, she was met with a no. And time again, she was met with a no. And time again, she didn't get what she was praying for until. And then she cries out, oh, my soul, look at this boy that you've given me. Not giving up is in the family business. What about Job? Job who loses just about everything that you can lose. And the one who stays with him, his wife does not even want him. Why don't you just curse God and die? He has every opportunity to give up. And he says, though he slay me, yet I will trust him. Not giving up is in the family business. What about Shadrach, Meshach, and that guy whose name sounds like Billy Goat? They go into the fiery furnace. And as the fire heat rises, so also does their confidence and their resolve in the Lord. You can burn us at the stake. But there is a fourth man in this fire with us who will keep us even if we turn into barbecue. What about Daniel, who is thrown into the lion's den? And the lion's mouths are shut and his mouth is opened in praise and prayer to God. And even going into the lion's den, he does not give up. Not giving up is in the family business. What about Mary? Mary gets put in a precarious situation. I don't know if any of you have been pregnant uh, without knowing that you are pregnant. I never have been pregnant without knowing that I was pregnant. And here she is in this moment, pregnant. And all she has is a word from the Lord. And there's every temptation to give up. And she does not give up. And burst the Savior of the world. And she would say, my soul doth magnify the Lord. Here's Stephen, who is about to be stoned. And has every opportunity to get out before he's about to be given up. And he is stoned. The heavens open up. He cries out, cries out to God in praise. And he does not give up. And he moves from faith to sight in a moment. What about Paul and Silas? There's Paul and Silas who are witnessing for Christ's sake. And they have caused economic deprivation. They have healed someone. And they get thrown in jail. And they're locked up. They have every opportunity to, to give up. Maybe we have done the wrong thing, for goodness sakes. We are in prison. And here, in prison, they begin to pray and to sing. And my old country preacher would say, because Paul's name begins with a P and Silas's name begins with an S, evidently Paul prayed and Silas sang. Well, I don't know about that, but 2,000 years before Elvis Presley ever came on the scene, the jailhouse rocked. And those jail doors went open and Paul and Silas, who did not give up, saw a Roman centurion saved in his whole household, baptized. What about John? He's thrown to the Isle of Patmos in exile. He has every opportunity to give up. And he does not give up. But he continues to write. And some of the most beautiful pictures of what is yet to come to help us not give up is given under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. In Revelation. What about you? What about me? Uh, in 2015, I began bleeding every time I went to the bathroom. And I was diagnosed with ulcerative colitis. Got down to 119 pounds. And every day for five years, I bled. 20 times a day. By the end, I was receiving 
I was taking daily pills, weekly shots, monthly infusions. Every six weeks I was getting iron and every eight weeks I was getting blood. And an opportunity came for me to have a surgery that would heal me, that would save my life. You know what my biggest fear it was? If I have the surgery and I get my healing, will I give up? I came to testify today. I have not given up in the Lord. And I'm not giving up. Because it's a part of the family business. Because I'm alive in the Spirit. And I'm one in Christ with you. And we're walking in step with the Spirit, bearing His fruit for the world to see. Unless you think this is something that's relegated simply to the past of not giving up, as something that presses on and lives on even to today. As ministers of the gospel, you have the opportunity to sit across from families who have every opportunity to give up, and yet they choose in the power of the Spirit to not give up. They've lost the loved one that they thought they would never lose, and they're able to say, we're not giving up. I got an email from a missionary a few weeks ago who said that a natural disaster had occurred. The pastor of the church that they were serving in was locked up in prison. They didn't think he was going to be able to get out anytime soon. Oh, and on top of that, the babies had the stomach bug. And at the end of the email, it said, but we're not giving up. We're not giving up. Some of you right now are walking through scenarios and situations that you have every opportunity to give up. Don't give up. Let us get tired of doing good and we will reap at the proper time if we don't give up. Some of you are working incredibly hard right now on things that are due. Some of you have, are taking Hebrew and Greek or praying to God that somehow you will remember, somehow, miraculously, you will be able to parse out and translate in just a few weeks. Don't give up. Some of you right now are facing problems and issues in your ministry that have given you the opportunity that you think, I, I just need to type out that letter of resignation and send it to the personnel committee. I need to send it to the vestry. I need to send it to my supervisor because it's time to give up. Don't give up. Some of you right now are having strife in your marriage, in your families, in your friend group, and you're thinking, it's time to give up. Don't give up. Don't give up. It's a part of the family business. For anyone who would not give up, we reap at the proper time. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us work for the good of all, especially for those belonging to the household of faith. We labor, we strive, so that what stands ultimately is that that is a work of the Spirit. Only what's done for Christ will last. You can build great cathedrals, large or small. You can build great skyscrapers, grand and tall. You may conquer all the failures of the past, but only what's done for Christ will last. You may seek earthly power and fame. The world might be impressed with your great name. Soon the glories of this life will all be past. And only what's done for Christ will last. So carry on till the end, beloved. Striving in the Spirit with personal responsibility, mutual accountability, as we're free in Christ and free in the Spirit. Would you pray with me?
even now, O Lord. We pray that you would attend to us, that we would hear your word. And even if it's just putting one foot in front of the other today, O Lord, we pray that this would be an act of faith, that we would not give up because Jesus Christ himself did not give up and gave his life for us as a ransom for many that would bring many sons and daughters to glory. And even now, as we strive in the spirit, that we would not give up and reap the fruit of the spirit. These things we ask in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.